American Craftsman Podcast is proud to partner with Montana Brand Tools. The West was built by people with strength and great pride in their workmanship. It was a necessity that early settlers of Montana have a strong will, a resilient character, and great determination to tame the rugged landscape while adapting to its dramatic climate. That spirit, made in the USA pride and craftsmanship, is alive today, both in how Montana Brand Tools are manufactured and how they perform. Montana Brand Power Tool accessories are manufactured utilizing proprietary, state-of-the-art CNC machining equipment and the highest quality materials available. Montana Brand Tools are guaranteed for life to be free of defects in material and workmanship because we build these tools with pride and determination. Montana Brand Tools are manufactured by Rocky Mountain Twist, located in Ronan, Montana. Montana Brand's heritage comes from a long line of innovative power tool accessories. Use coupon code American Craftsman for 10% off your order at MontanaBrandTools.com. And we're live. Yeah, buddy, back in the studio. Yeah, episode 43 of the American Craftsman podcast. 42 was on the road. Yeah. People seem to like the episode. Yeah, there was that that uh, road angst added in as an extra feature. Yeah, I had to keep it... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Keep that was PG. That was toned down, let me tell you. Yeah. Um Yeah, I mean, just driving the two miles from the shop to here to your place the stu- and the studio yeah. was an adventure. It's it's bad this time of year. Um Oh, I wanted to say uh we're planning the little meetup thing, get together, whatever the hell you want to call it. It's going to be on a Saturday, you know, towards the end of July or mm-hmm. early August. So um, let us know, you know, what works. That's because, like a month from now. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Anywhere between, you know, three, three to six weeks from now. Yeah. So, yeah, if you have an opinion, we can't accommodate you all, obviously. But no, no. Let us know what works. Yeah. Probably about four o'clock. Yeah. Well. I need a beer. Yeah, me too. It's been quite a fucking day. <laughs> so we might as well get into the beer. Yeah, yeah that, uh, that edge band. <laughs> oh, yeah, here, I got to get my, uh, I just got a scam likely call. I have a feeling uh, it was from uh, Taco Tools. Crack this one open. <sighs> so the beer this week, uh, this is from Denise. Manny's girlfriend. Thanks again. This I is, so this she is was the elevated. second the second beer um, from the one that we had two weeks ago. So this is Voodoo Ranger by New Belgium, Juicy Haze IPA. You know, they're cutting the blurb out of the can these days. Enjoy by the eighth of August. Oh yeah. Wasn't she elevated to fiance last week? <laughs> You're gonna get or, Manny or two in trouble. Two weeks ago, Manny, just know I didn't say anything. I, I, you know, uh, listen to that pour. It smells good. So we have our, as of uh, last week, we have our first female patron. Don't do it. Mary Beth Jones. Yeah. A woman of science. And uh, that means we have at least two women listening. 
That's a, that's a hundred percent increase in just two weeks. Imagine if we kept that up, how broad our audience could be. That's a good point. <laughs> Definitely hazy. It's a juicy haze. Cheers. Cheers to you, Cheers my to friend. You. Bit in there. Not bad. Oh, yeah. It's nice and cool down here in the studio. Yeah, let me uh, pull up a... I don't like when there's no... There's no little story on there. Yeah, I mean, they got the room. There's there's a ton of negative space on this. Yeah, I agree. They're just alcohol, 7.5% by volume. Yeah. Yes, I'm 21. You can't read about beer unless you're 21. <laughs> but you can get heroin on the corner. You wouldn't be able to read this. No. Look at this, how they put this over the top white. of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't Packed with bright tropical aromas and... Look like I said tortillas. Brilliant citrusy flavors. This hazy IPA wraps up with a pleasantly smooth finish. Listen to New Belgium. Get your act together. That's they that's can do better than poor that. web design. Yeah, yeah. It has like this, uh, like a pineapple juice can or something. These ridges. Oh yeah. You know, when I was a kid, like I used coconut, to like Coco Lopez. Yeah, we used to have pineapple juice in the can. You ever have that? Like those yeah, forty-six ounce cans. Oh yeah, like a, a, not quite a number ten. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I could still see my grandma. She would put it in the sink. You know, let the water run on the top of it, uh -huh. and then. That was when you had the can open. It would make those little triangle punches in. Oh it. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like the last, <laughs> the last thing that those right were that used you had a punch to get into. Yeah. Pineapple juice. I remember that. Yeah, dull. You know, dull pineapple juice. Yeah, and we used to get a little tiny glass for breakfast because I guess it was probably expensive or something. You know, they. It's also to, yeah. I mean, very sugary. Yeah, they used to put that out to the, to us in the morning. <laughs> Like it was gold. And a demi-toss. <laughs> yeah. I want more juice. No, that's enough. Oh, man. So uh, those people that are at home watching, they're probably saying, what the hell happened to Rob's hair? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Look I at was, this. I thought that when I first put it on, but then I forgot to. Um, I got, got my myself a haircut, my biannual yeah. haircut. Um. Mother Nature's taking care of the rest of it. <laughs> She's a cruel mistress. <laughs> but the barber, happens. the barber took what was left. It's not the stress. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's right. That's it. Uh, I keep saying every time I get a haircut, I keep saying, you know, I'm gonna go back in like six weeks, two months. I'm gonna get on a routine, but I never do. I usually, you know, six months, eight months. You got to hand over the responsibility to your wife, and then she just make all the appointments <laughs> yeah. for you. She, just say, okay, she does, Tuesday, yeah. 6 o'clock, you got. Yeah. She does make all my appointments, like, for a massage and all that stuff. Yeah. Hey, give um, her something to do. She loves being in control of that stuff. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Holy cow. So you want to go straight to the tool of the week? Now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Might as well. Let me get this. Uh, it's not the brain, is up. it? No, that's we're still waiting to do that one. Which that's that's uh, we're gonna save that for our special guest. 
So, this week's tool of the week, I think I may have mentioned these before on an episode that we maybe talked about, like, safety equipment. Yeah. But these are my favorite uh, safety glasses. These are made by Clean Guard, and they're called the Maverick. Um, I've always been hesitant to wear safe, not hesitant, but, um, I just haven't wanted to wear safety glasses. Yeah. Whatever phrase would be appropriate there. It's a good habit to get into, but it's a hard one to start. Yeah. So when we were building the deck at your house, I got a piece of pressure treated in my eye and it bothered me for a while. Yeah. And that was finally the thing that kicked me in the ass after 10 years to wear. I always wear safety glasses, like when I'm cutting metal. Um, but now I wear them a lot. I wear them yeah. probably if I'm doing a cutting task, I'm pretty much wearing them. Um, unless I'm like, if I'm like sanding or something like that, I don't wear them. But, uh, yeah, it's these that have allowed me to do that because they're comfortable. Um, I feel like they don't distort my vision. Now Manny has them and he he feels like they do. Hmm. So your mileage may vary, but you know, they have the nice side protectors here. Yeah. Um little rubber on the nose, but not too much, and a little rubber on the ears, but again, not too much cuz they get stuck on your head and you can feel the rubber. Um they got to be comfortable. If, yeah. Otherwise, you, you don't really want to wear them. I've had safety glasses that when you wear them for a long time, they hurt the sides of your head. Yeah. Uh, these don't do that for me. And they just, they don't fog up. They don't get scratched very easily. They they get a little dusty, but, you know, I've had safety glasses that are, like, statically charged, and you wear them for five minutes, and you can't see anything. You know, these, I blow them off every couple days, but that's really it. Yeah. Um, and I wear them with a... Uh, like a lanyard kind of deal that go on the the stems so I could just let them hang around yeah. my neck. So, yeah, if you're looking for a good pair of safety glasses, like eight bucks, so they're cheap. You know, I, I used to wear mine all the time until I started wearing glasses regularly. Uh-huh. And I have uh, this, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't call it an insurance program, but it's like a thing where when you buy your glasses, I can go in and they'll... If they're scratched up or damaged, they'll replace the lenses. Hmm. Um, and I do that every now and again. And you could see how much stuff actually yeah. goes up if you're wearing them all the time. Because there are lots of little nicks and yeah, things yeah. like that. Yeah, and those are in glass, like glass yeah. lenses. <laughs> yeah, these are plastic. So. Um, oh, what the hell was I going to say? Oh, these, like, this is a pair I got for home. For doing the the weed whacking. Oh yeah, yeah. So I liked them so much, I got another one, and I've been wearing that same pair for over a year. Yeah, that, and they're, I mean, no sign of. They being, should last for almost forever. Yeah, right? unless you you know drop it onto concrete or something. But um, I you know they fall off my head and hit the the concrete floor in the shop, and so yeah, they're pretty pretty yeah. durable. I love the safety glasses. Another thing where, I I guess. One bright spot from COVID is that it kind of got us used to wearing a mask. Yeah. Because we reach for a mask more than we ever used to. Mm-hmm. Like uh, if we're cutting something that's noxious in some way or just extra dusty. Yeah. You know, you used to never really go for a mask, but now we have one because used to, I used to have to wear one every time I went to the store. Yeah. And so it's hanging around, right? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, that's another good safety habit. Yeah, it's just little, you know, it takes little steps. But, uh, yeah, those are nice glasses. Which yeah, and um, I, they look better to me than, like, oh, yeah. those, I don't know, like those all clear ones. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know, they're kind of nerdy. Well, I mean, I guess these are nerdy, but. No, those are the classic look. Yeah. Not quite the, uh, like, you know, they have, like, the welding, the old school, yeah, like, welding yeah. kind of uh, glasses like that. Like, the really, really thick frame ones. Not quite like that, but. Those are almost like the Elvis Costello glasses. Yeah, like, uh, um, Buddy Holly kind of yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very good. So, as always, we'll have a link down there. Yeah. We have a decent amount of questions this week. Should we get going on them? Almost a full two-pager, yeah. Wow. You All want right. to take this yeah. first one? Sure. What's one tool that increases your productivity the most in the shop? I think for me, it's the drum sander. However, it needs to be set up properly and well-maintained. And that's from uh, one of our patrons. Uh, you going to help me out with that name? Wojcik. Wojcik. Well, thanks, Wojcik. Uh, uh, what do you think, Jeff? I'm inclined to kind of agree um, with the caveat that, you know, our drum sander's kind of a little been finicky. Finicky, yeah. So when it is working and it is a um, an application where it makes sense because, you know, drum sander leaves sanding lines. So if it's a paint grade thing... The, the drum sander can save days, you know, days yeah. worth of sanding. Yeah. Um, I can't really top that. I mean, because all the other stuff is sort of um, like an essential. Like you couldn't yeah. put the table saw or the plane or the jointer in there. And sanding is everybody's favorite task. Mm -hmm. And flattening a, a nice... <laughs> Top is is the best, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we're getting ready to do a twelve footer. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, sometimes if those things aren't set up correctly, they create another level of work that yeah, um, you know, you didn't anticipate. I'm thinking, I can't think of anything increase productivity. Um, you know, for us, because we're constantly doing different things, um, the productivity kind of is job by job dependent. So we yeah. always need to create a new way to be more productive because what we're doing is different than what we did before. Yeah. I, I mean, dust collection, keeping things clean, anything that'll keep uh, the shop clean will help in productivity. So yeah. that way we don't have to stop and, and clean up. So anything with a good vac port on it, like... Today we used the track saw mm -hmm. a whole bunch, and um, the dust collection on that thing was phenomenal. It was really better than the table saw because the table saw, we had that dust shooting off the top of the blade. Yeah. And we don't have one of those dust guards like that. And we're, yeah, we're cutting on top of that foam so it it uh, it can't go down out, yeah. of the, out of the work. So. Yeah, but the drum sander, when it's working... It's it's like a miracle. Yeah, I think if you're if you're looking at it in terms of like amount of time saved that nothing can when that thing is working and it's a time that you can use it, 
Nothing can save you <laughs> no, more time than that. No. I mean, if you had a, a wide belt, same idea. Yeah. Brings a smile to the face when it comes out. Yeah. It's like, yeah, baby. Yep. All right. So we're all in agreement. You, me, and Wolchek. Yeah. All right. That's nice. Got one here from Sal, another Jersey guy, one of our patrons, Sal the Carpenter on Instagram. Uh, how do you organize your install kit? I'd love to see a tour someday. Yeah. Um, well, for me, I don't really, I mean, I have a tool bag that I got specifically for the install stuff, and I kind of really didn't go any further than that because you have so much stuff. You know, that's really was your stock and trade there mm -hmm. for a long time. But back in the olden days, I took a cue from when I was a, a catering chef. And I would just make a list based on the the menu. Right. <laughs> I'd go and I'd go through it step by step in my mind, the tools I was gonna need. Um so I don't have like a specific um I didn't have a specific set of tools that were my install tools. I would just pull most of that stuff from the shop. Yeah. Yeah, and that's basically what we do. Like, we went up to Newark last week, and we only took what we needed. Like, we didn't bring a power planer or mm -hmm. a, or a, any nailers because we weren't going right. to be doing any of that stuff. And there's only so much room to, between the material and the tools, and so we just bring what we need. So it's really yeah. job-dependent. Like, if it was a kitchen, i bring the whole kit. I right. mean, I have all the all this stuff is here at my house now for the most part. We'd have the chop saw, the planer, the nailers, the the grinder, the all the drills, hole saws, Forzner bits. Um, so it's really a case by case sort of thing. Yeah, we might go to one install with just a set of drills and a little kit. Yeah, um, we didn't really bring that much when we went out to uh, Easton. No, because we knew you know they're basically pieces of furniture. They're that. We weren't even going to, or no, we planned on screwing the tops to the wall, the top section. But, yeah, set the bases, scribe the toe. So we brought a block plane <laughs> and screw the top to the wall. And that was it. That's right. That's our kit. Yeah. yeah. The other thing is we don't install, we don't spend that many days out of the shop. So the idea of having like an install trailer, which we toyed with at one point, just yeah. doesn't make any sense. Because we'd have just so much stuff sitting there. Turned into a dumping ground for some yeah. of these shitty tools. Yeah, that's that really didn't work. you know. Because all our best stuff we want to use all the time anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there you have it, Sal. Um, boy, this one, this is funny because uh, <laughs> you, don't, you don't see this tool mentioned very often. And no. this is from uh, Cody. See Homan92 on Instagram. He's asking us, do you have any tips to remove snipe from a 718 Woodmaster planer? Well, definitely don't call it customer service because we know the yeah. customer service over there at Woodmaster is no good. We have a Woodmaster. We have a bigger version, I think, right? What's ours? A 7538? No. Well, we that... have a drum sander. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. He's... Which we were just talking about. Yeah, right. he's got. so he's got a planer. Which is probably a planer molder. Um, I mean, we don't know anything specifically about this planer, but with any planer, you know, you want to look at your your rollers mm -hmm. where the snipe is going to originate and the the beds. So you want to make sure your beds are coplanar. 
Um, if anything, you kind of want them a little higher than the center so that you have a hollow in the center when you put a straight edge. And you want to make sure that your rollers are, you know, pushing it in the correct places. I mean, yeah, yeah, the pressure is right. Um, it, it's it's all the typical stuff for um, tuning up a planer, and that's where the snipe is, as Jeff said. It's it's the pressure feed rollers. The, if they if your planer has those little rollers on the bottom, mm -hmm. make sure they're set up at the right height and. Hopefully the manual will tell you because it's yeah. just <laughs> Woodmaster. God bless them. Uh, their their customer service was not very uh, service oriented towards us. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we we talked to them several times. They didn't give us much help. Yeah. So like, if you don't know what snipe is, you can have two kinds of snipe really, like a, a snipe and then almost like a reverse snipe. Mm -hmm. But snipe is when you know the board is getting fed in. And the leading edge goes up, and it ends up taking more out. And then once it hits these pressure rollers, it gets pushed back down. And uh, and the helicopter, yeah, oh my God. And it planes it to the thickness that you're looking for. So let's say you set it to an inch. The snipe is going to be, um, you know, uh, 31, 30 seconds, or or even bigger than that. But you'll often see it's the distance between the infeed roller and the outfeed roller is the is the snipe. Right. So you need to get that. That thing is low, huh? Yeah, you need to get that infeed roller down, pushing the work down more. Um, but again, it could be the table. You could be feeding in uphill, mm -hmm. and it's driving the leading edge of that board up into the cutter head. Um, so it's you know, it's a lot of. Tuning, trial and error. Yeah, you know, you and, a little and sometimes bit. you can't get it all out because right. you know these machines are. We're talking about machines that are, um, although like are used in pro shops, like even our Powermatic, it's like a prosumer kind of tool. It's mm -hmm. not. This isn't a, an industrial planer. It's a, right. you know, it's the same thing that a guy might have who who's a hobbyist woodworker, but. Um, you know, if tuned yeah. up right, they serve you well. A lot of the manuals nowadays even say, you know, you can't get rid of all the snipe. Yeah. They're, they're kind of putting that caveat into their written literature now because I guess people <laughs> start complaining. Yeah. Like calling 911, yeah. you know, find out when the firework display is yeah. coming Where on. Where can I get my dog license? <laughs> <laughs> Got our next... Uh, question here from our buddy Corey, CT Woodwork right. at Long Island. Uh, if you had the opportunity to do a whole house of woodwork, would it be uh, a new in a new home or an old historic home or both? Oh, what? I think we take any opportunity we had that given us. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough... We had a choice. It's a tough question. You know, if I, if I could choose... I would go for the new home mm -hmm. because I feel like it would uh, have a much broader, um, I don't know what word to use, menu available where we could go in several different styles, whereas the historic home might, um, you know, you really want to stay true to that form. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know what stage of design are they in is the house yeah. is the house already built and it's but it's new or the, is it you know to the point where you can have some influence over the rooms themselves um 
it's uh, we've discussed it in in different ways in the past, but that's quite a dream, I think, of any, um, especially an accomplished woodworker. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to make a multiple suite kind of thing, because usually uh, all we really get a shot at is one room. Maybe a couple of like little things on the side, like yeah. when we did with Mendelssohn. Um, and we didn't really have carte blanche with that. You know, all these spaces are uh, very defined spaces. Right. Yeah, and they come, they have a vision before they get mm-hmm. to us. I'm going to say new just because uh, I'm going to hope that it's all square and plumb and level, you know. <laughs> Just yeah. make the, I mean, if it's standalone furniture, it doesn't really matter. But if it's if there's like a bunch of built-in work and stuff, um, working in an old home can it it can suck the joy out of making things because yeah. you're like, well, the wall might be out this much, or we got to account for this and that. Um, which that's not the fun part of woodworking. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it, well, we really don't enjoy the installation as much as uh, the other parts. I just mean having to account for it in the fabrication. Yeah. Like, oh, we got to put a two-inch ear on this because the the wall might be an inch and a half out of plumb. Yeah, yeah, that's a drag. That's for sure. It just, you know, it it wedges its way into the aesthetics with Mm -hmm. uh, making allowances, styles and stuff that are the same width. And, yeah, so. Yeah. But new houses are... Susceptible to that shit, too. Yeah, I wonder what Corey's choice would be. Yeah. I mean, I, he does a lot of nice work. I've oh, seen, yeah. I've seen him uh, on Instagram a bunch lately. I, I'm going to guess he would... I'm going to guess he would go with us on a new home. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, uh, I'm going to agree. All right. Let us know, Corey. Um, so... Oh, John Peters. Yeah. John Peters on Instagram. Have you set off your saw stop since you got it? <laughs> we have not, which is good because uh, that means that if we didn't have a saw stop, nobody would have been cut. Yeah. Also, we're cheap, so we don't want to spend the eighty dollars. We're not well, cheap. Yeah. We're we're uh, we like to spend our money uh, wisely. Yeah. We wouldn't want to just. Toss eighty dollars down the bin on one of those things. Oh uh, yeah, and twenty five dollars for sharpening. Or, yeah, and, yeah. You know, replacing some teeth. Yeah, so uh, um, I would say uh, it's it's good on all fronts. Yeah. Um, I do uh, follow Saw Stop on Instagram, and you'll see those posts where it'll be, a blade you know, a Joe from uh, Joe's Wood Shop, and and has uh, the the embedded blade. Yeah, like a picture of their finger is just a little scratch. Uh, it's good to know, but I I don't ever think of the saw stop in that way. I mean, I think of it as a saw when I'm using it. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been times where there's like a cut that that I've made a cut on the saw stop that I wouldn't make on, mm-hmm. a, on a saw without the technology, um, which, you know, people think, I hear a lot of people saying that a saw stop can muddy the lines for people between what's safe and what's not. But, um, I mean, that's on you to realize right. that, okay, I'm using a saw right now that has a, a piece of technology that makes it so that I cannot get cut. So if there's some sort of kickback, 
My hand gets dragged across the blade. I mean, you should never be making a cut where your hand is going to go into the blade yeah, with a regular, regularly. That's, I mean, it's that's a kickback situation. Bad habits. Yeah, it's, right there. it's a kickback is when you need to be worried. Those are the things you can't prevent. Um, so if you can't distinguish between a time where you're using a saw stop and you go to somebody else's shop or you're using mm-hmm. a saw in your shop that doesn't have it, well, that's on you. Right. It has nothing to do with the saw stop itself. Right. Um, and people kind of, I feel like, attribute that as a fault to saw stop, that it makes people, like, um, not lazy, but uh, sort of carefree with the table saw. Yeah, I, I think saw stops got detractors based on the price. Uh, maybe in... <laughs> and the tech, the whole, like, uh, holding on to the technology. Yeah, yeah. Because we have a unisaw and a saw stop. And I know for a fact, because I'm thinking about it now, I don't have any mental or physical adjustment when I'm moving between the two saws. Me neither. It's, it's um, more like a if I'm doing right. a setup. Yeah. Like a weird cutting a really high cut with a thin, you know, a, a very narrow distance between the blade and the fence. You and I are so weird. We're probably more worried about hitting the saw blade and feeling bad that we, like, have to shut the saw down and replace it, like explaining to the other guy, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't sh- know what happened. <laughs> when I had that kickback, I sw- I could have sworn that it uh, it went off, but it didn't. Yeah. But does, I think the saw did stop. Or I may, you know, I have that knee. Yeah, that, probably hit that paddle. Uh, yeah, I think I just instinctually turned the saw off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we haven't set it off. And you no. know what? Knock on wood, we hope to never set it off. Yeah, and let us know if you've set yours off, John. Yeah, John has a saw stop as well. I, I'm assuming not. I'm sure you, you probably We would know. We yeah, would know. Would have said something. All right. You want to read the next one? We've got one here from uh, Randall. He's a repeat offender, RM Crafts and Customs on Instagram. What is your process to getting square and flat lumber? I've been having issues with getting flat stock. Hmm. I think it's a pretty simple answer. Yeah, we've we've uh, addressed this a couple of times. So I guess it's something that isn't it. I mean, we might take it for granted, mm-hmm. I think. Um, you know, you have to join. And plane yep. and uh, proper technique on the joiner, which is the first stop, is really what it's all about. Because the planer is only going to mirror the surface you put on the bed. Right, you're going to get a parallel to whatever the mm-hmm. hell you did on the joiner. So there, there, it may be that a lot of folks don't quite know how to, you know, operate the plane. It's not like you just push the board through and magic happens. Yeah, the joiner. Yeah, the joiner. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a certain amount of technique and finesse involved. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to strong arm the material Mm -hmm. because if you push it out of the shape that it's in, well, when you let go, it's just (laughs) going to go back to the same shape (laughs) that it was in. Um, that's why, you know, at first, when I first saw a joiner with a power feeder, I'm like, man, this is an awesome idea. But then I'm thinking to myself, this is a horrible idea. Yeah, because it's holding it down. Right. And, a, you know, a four-sided planer, I'm sure. I, I don't know exactly how those work, but I'm assuming it's the same thing. It gets pushed into all these feed rollers and stuff and gets pressed, you know, into a, a channel to run through these this four-sided cutter. Um, but, yeah, you have to really, like, especially the first pass, like, forward pressure only. Yeah, yeah. 
and very light pressure on the outfeed. And then once you establish a flat surface, it's all pressure on the outfeed. Yeah. Uh, because the, the cutter head is what's setting the... The height, know, right. I guess you call it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so I would maybe suggest watching a couple of videos online. I'm sure there are a few good ones available. Yeah. Um, because reading about it might not... If you if you having trouble jointing the face of a board, reading might not help you so much as mm -hmm. maybe seeing somebody do it. Uh, but that's really it. You need the face jointed flat because you're going to use that. You're going to flip the board up and use that reference against the fence. Now you have your ninety. Yep. And there, you, that's the basis for everything that follows. Yeah. Um, it's all about that. Yeah. It's all about that first face joint. Yeah. Even, you know, you could, you could get a, a relatively square edge on the table saw, even if you didn't joint the edge, but that face joint is mm -hmm. what's going to make, you need to have two perfectly parallel flat. First you need to get flat and then make a parallel face to that flat face. Yeah. Um, doesn't matter. Like if it's, what am I trying to say here? If it's smooth, it doesn't mean it's flat. No. <laughs> Just because you clean the whole face doesn't mean it's flat. Yeah. And and your planer is going to push that thing flat. Yes. So you don't, ideally, you don't want it pushing anything. Right. And let's uh, let's expand on it and tell them about, just touch on the process again that we use the, with the patience of bringing the lumber in and acclimation and, and you know, evenly taking material off, trying, you know, uh, as best as possible, stop the wood from wanting to return to its... Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you, you want to move slow and you want to try and move equally from all sides. So if you're going to face joint your material, you have to plane the material the mm -hmm. same day. So if you take... Um, a 30-second off the face to get it flat, then you want to plane off a 30-second. And ideally, you want to joint an edge and rip it, which we don't know, We don't always do that, but the faces are more important because there's so much more surface area um, because you get a difference in humidity between the face and the side. Let's say you don't plane it, the side that was unplaned, yeah. that's when you're going to get cupping. Um, so you want to try and move in from the rough sawn, or even if it's S4S, move in equally um, at all times because that's yeah. why once we'll clean a face on the joiner, run it through the planer, clean that face, and then we start flipping it. Yeah. So you alternate every pass. Obviously, sometimes you have to keep planing one face to get it yeah. clean, but you want to flip it every time. That way you're coming in equally from both you know, both. Right. Faces. You don't want to take a quarter inch off the... The bottom, so to speak, and, and you know, a sixteenth of the top. Yeah, because then, so, yeah. you know, the center is always going to be the wettest because yeah. it takes, you know, takes the longest to dry. And unless you got your lumber straight out of the kiln, it's reaching some sort of equilibrium. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I don't know of a lumber yard that has a, I'm sure they exist, fully conditioned storage where all no, the wood yeah. is being stored in a perfectly, you know, uh, maintained space. All the ones we know of are big metal buildings with, you know, no heat or air conditioning. Right. So they just basically keep it out of the rain and sun. It's basically just outside with a roof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But, you know, the kiln drying does set. It yeah. sets the fibers to some yeah. degree. As we found out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
this is a related question from uh, uh, who we got here. Alan, who's one of our patrons, Al about it on Instagram. See how I put those back to back. Yeah, that's that's pretty clever. How flat is flat enough when milling stock? Specifically face jointing. Well, there you go. I don't have enough room in my shop for a jointer, uh, in parentheses, but plenty of room for woodpecker tools. <laughs> did you add that or no, did he? No, All right. No. So I'm forced to mill lumber on a sled in my planer. I sometimes end up with a slight bow or cup, about a 16th inch or less in the center over three feet and was wondering if this is acceptable for casework or if I should be strict and build only with dead flat arrow straight stock. Remilling the board would take too much material off my finished thickness. Again, it's Alan, one of our patrons. Yeah, I mean, listen, Alan. If your stock isn't dead flat and arrow straight, you better just hang up the apron yeah. and go home. <laughs> 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 no, nah, I'm just kidding. Actually, it's funny. I just got a message from Corey. He said... uh, so one day you're making a steel cabinet and now a tree. What do you guys what do you guys don't make? Or what don't you guys make? I thought that was funny. We may we did, are they writing checks? Yeah. Well, is the money green? <laughs> We're making charcuterie boards next week. <laughs> There's no money in that, or we right, might. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um Yeah, I mean, Alan, it's really all about you know what you can get away with so mm -hmm. as long as it's not impeding the you know the finished product of your casework then it is what it is you, you get it as flat as you can yeah i um, mean that's not bad a 16th on three feet I mean, right. it's not great but um we you know you shoot for perfect and you know you what it, usually you get close yeah hope for the best expect the worst um you know, we're our stuff, our machines, and our shop is tuned and primed for that sort of work. So that's why our yeah. results are, you know, almost consistently, you know, right on the money. Yeah, like we're more likely to screw up a plywood box than we are. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, where'd you put that biscuit? Yeah, <laughs> because that's not what we do. You know, day in, day out. The rails go on top of the styles, right? <laughs> so, you know, that that just happens to be something we do well, and our shop is geared to do it well. Yeah. You know, it helps that the machines um, help us. Uh, so, you know, it. I think you know if it's not flat enough. Yeah, if you're you get to assembly and you're like having to like crank down on the clamps mm -hmm. to get things to be you know close up or or your sides are bowed in, and you got to spread them out. Yeah, I mean then you know, but I mean even in that situation, we run into that stuff too, and yeah. just make it work. Yeah, yeah. It, so is it ideal? No. If you had a joiner, you'd be better off. But yeah, as long as you're you can get the piece built, then it's fine. Then you're doing all right. Yeah. Well, you know, I had a look. Uh, luckily, I previewed this question when I saw the metrics. You did the conversions? I did the conversion. Um, <laughs> a message from Matt Viz. You guys are crazy. <laughs> I guess it's the tree. People like the tree. <laughs> this is from Jack Thornton, 98 on Instagram. Jack wants to know. Well, first he says, he tells us, 
He had to build a pig of a study desk, 40 by 29, 70 by 75 millimeters. It's almost 10 feet long. Wow. Um, in yeah, American oak. three inches thick. Yeah. And uh, he had bad grain tear out when doing the final square up. Any techniques to reduce this? So we're not sure what tools he used. Uh, you know, maybe on one side on the bottom edge if he was using. Uh, Wait, so are those centimeters and, and then millimeters? 40 centimeters by 2,970 well, centimeters? Well, I did, I did 2,970 millimeters. It came out to hundred and like think 13 inches or something like that. 40's got to be centimeters though. Yeah, can't be 40 millimeters. Because what's a centimeter? Like three eighths of an inch? Yeah, uh, 2.254. No. Oh, a centimeter? Yeah. I don't know. Because it's not 40 millimeters. That's that's like. Yeah. That's I like an inch and a half. I don't know what 40 centimeters is. Do, so do they mix those? Like the people in. Um, well, I was thinking maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not 2,970 centimeters. Yeah. That's big. I'm going to say, let's look this up. 40. Maybe that's a typo. Maybe it's 297. 40. And then 75, he labeled millimeters. Maybe those are centimeters, and that's millimeter. 40. Well, that would be huge if it was. Uh, Why couldn't it just be 7.5 centimeters? I don't know. 40 centimeter inches. Let's see what it comes out to. 19? 15 and three quarter. Oh, that was off. That kind of. That sounds about right. I mean, it's a little small, but yeah, that would that would be weird. Fifteen inches by uh, ten feet. What's two hundred and ninety-seven centimeters? What's well, the same as two thousand nine hundred seven? Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Jack, gonna, let us know. We're gonna need some clarification yeah. here. You see, anytime you introduce the metric system to an American, they just start dribbling. It's the second Australian to do this to us. <laughs> We're, we're gonna de, we're gonna demand everything be be transferred into the imperial system. Yeah. Wait, your toilet's flushing the other way. <laughs> so, but so we're imagining it's a pretty thick top that he's got tear out. Mm-hmm. Um, what would we suggest? Um, I'm assuming he mean when he says he's squaring it up, he means on the on the ends. Yeah, the ends. yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you could do the old chamfer deal where you, mm-hmm. you know, put a chamfer on there and you're basically cutting off the uh, the tear out or, um, you know, same idea. Just just feather it out, plane it, you know, from a foot back and you take you could take off a 30-second and no one will notice. No, no, yeah. Any, any ideas for avoiding the tear out? Um, I don't know how you cut it, but... You could always cut a knife wall. Then, you know, there's no way you'll get tear out as long mm-hmm. as you're cutting on that knife wall. Um, if you use a track saw, you know, you got to make sure the track is on the right side. And even that's not like we're cutting that melamine today. And uh, there's still tear out. I mean, it's not it's yeah. not, a, not infallible. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, striking a knife wall is probably the best way. That's what I. So I've if done you just strike a wall, even on all four, you don't need it on all four, but just to be safe, strike it around, you know, right where the cut's going to be, and yeah, I've had good results using that. Oh yeah, technique. Um, even with like a multi master and stuff like that, like if when I was doing trim, if I had to cut a piece of baseboard, you know, you you either put your square there or you rig something up, 
and cut a nice deep line, cut a, you know, cut uh, 45 degrees to that or whatever. And so you make a notch mm-hmm. with, a, with a one square, uh, one perpendicular edge to the face and then off of that. And then you have a spot for the saw to ride. Yeah. Um, Especially if it's a woodpecker square. Yeah. Have, I think we've alienated some of our listeners with our... Uh, I'm getting a lot of messages. Derision of woodpecker. It, it, you know, it. I guess it's the the woodpecker folks really take themselves pretty seriously, and we don't take ourselves seriously, and we we jest quite a bit. I told you, I took a five-year deal with Bridge City. They're flying me out to China <laughs> next month to see the factory Stop where they build it. all the tools. We, we, <laughs> They're going to let me meet the kids who make the planes. Yes. We, we know a couple of people who have the... Um, woodpeckers, and we—it's mostly been a running joke with between yeah. them and us. It's been totally inflamed. Past yeah, year. it's yeah, it's it's really blown out of proportion. Um, I'm still waiting for uh, a, a gift from woodpecker. I have less of a problem with woodpeckers themselves than I do with people than these <laughs> these brand myopic people who have like uh, 10 million yeah. of these squares yeah yeah just cuz i mean that's fine buy what you want i got more lee nielsen than i need but i just don't get it yeah i just i don't know i don't get it like marking tools that's not even fun yeah well people it's one thing if you have like a weird plane like a i have a a concave spokeshave that thing barely ever comes out, but when I use it, it's fun. Yeah. You got a combo square; it marks just as square as some other thing. It's the ownership. It's the ownership experience, and that is the brilliance of the woodpecker marketing strategy. It's not brilliant; it's sadistic. It's just like Harley Davidson. Yeah, but people don't have five Harley Davidson motorcycles. No, but they got. If you go into any suburban garage that has a Harley in the garage, my neighbor over there. He'll ride it, you know, on Saturdays in the good weather and just go up and down in a straight line. But he's got 12 Harley T-shirts. He's got Harley underwear, Harley socks, Harley bandanas, Harley beer mugs, Harley everything. Those are accessories, though. I understand there's a price (laughs) difference, but it's like, you know, these are people that are buying... $100, $100, $100, $100, all these $100 items, um, I I don't know. Like I said, if you want to buy them, that's fine. I'm not judging you. I just don't understand it. I think social media is a little bit um, a bit of the the equation here, too, because as I, I, I go on Instagram and I'll flip through the pages, and you'll see people with postings where they'll have, like, a van outfitted, yeah. With tools, and it's, I don't know how many thousands of dollars worth of, let's say, Milwaukee tools. Yeah, Everything's yeah. all red. Brand myopathy. Yeah, is that what it's called? I don't know. If I, myopic, I know. Is yeah. The, I don't know that's if myopathy a great, is the... That's a great term. Um, and although we have favorites, we're not like that at all. Yeah. And we're always willing to try something else. Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know. Even, like, the aesthetic of Woodpecker, I just don't like it. It just rubs me the wrong way. I don't know. It's like, uh, I don't know. Red aluminum. It's not even the red. Just the shape and the, like, that combo square that they have with the with the indexing. First yeah. of all, stupid idea. 
and it just looks it just looks so bad. You mean you don't need to draw a line every sixteenth of an inch? I don't need the square to tell me where one inch is. I yeah, know. And yeah. if you can't use your eyes oh, you mean like to be with accurate within, you know, one, two, sixty four, two fifty six. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um It's wood people. It's wood. <laughs> you wanna be a metal worker, go get a micrometer. Right. As one of my very first bosses when I was a kid and you know, barely knew which end of the hammer to hold. I was taking forever to cut this piece of plywood subflooring, you know, because I was so worried. And we say this every now and again now. He goes, what the hell are you doing over there? We ain't building the space shuttle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you may cut it an inch now, <laughs> and it's a one one twenty eighth bigger or smaller yeah. two hours from now. Right, so. right. And as you've said many times before, which is... Totally true. You can mark 100% accurate, but you got to be able to wield the cutting tool, yeah. you know, with the same amount of accuracy or it's all for naught. Right. Your line is thicker than the air, you know, in the air. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so having that precision table saw as opposed to a job site saw or having, a, you know, I couldn't see, you know, marking out something meticulously with a woodpecker assortment and then pulling out your jigsaw to cut the line. I can't say it. I think I've seen it. <laughs> but that Well, you could take that thing off and put it on there sideways and you can see how high things are. Yeah. <laughs> but but that's the kind of thing that makes us crazy. I got to cut this piece of 3-quarter wood. Let me put my set my blade to 1 inch. <laughs> or you could just put it next to the blade and raise it up like a normal human being. <laughs> Or draw a line and raise the blade up to the line, leave it a little bit low and creep up on it. That that noise is, is all the woodpecker fans oh leaving the room. Woodpecker is like the uh, the uh, wood web of 2021. Oh yeah, yeah, wood web. Oh my god. People would be shocked to see the to marking see tools that we use. I know. Because most of the time it's a tape measure. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, you know, because that's really all we really need. And a, and a pencil, a sharp pencil. Couple, yeah, a couple of squares. All right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Fall down the rabbit hole once again. What, we were talking about a desk. Question? <laughs> What's your go-to method for making mortises? Do you use a mortiser, drill, and chisel? Make a plunge cut on a table saw or something else? That's uh, another one That's from one of our patrons, Wojcik. Yeah. Well, for us, you know, if we're talking like for our doors, mm -hmm. we've been using the table saw with a dado set on it. A really yep. nice dado set, by the way. Yeah. Um, I, I used to have a mortiser. Like a, a, a like one of those bench top mortisers. Yeah, what the hell? Like a slot, slot? No, not a slot mortiser. What the hell do they call those? Hollow chisel. Mortiser. Yeah, hollow chisel yeah. mortiser. I didn't really like the accuracy of it and things mm -hmm. like that. Uh, I I felt it was a little bit too finicky and yeah. um. So before I got the Domino, I wound up just using like you know the Forstner bit chisel routine. Mm -hmm. I found that was just as fast and. If, not faster. Yeah, I mean, we don't do a lot. Of, I'm assuming he's talking about mortise and tenon joint. Yeah. Because that's what it seems like. Um, we really don't do it because um, to get somebody to pay for that 
it, it's going to eat up. Let's say somebody's budget is $5,000 and they want a table. Well, you start introducing mortise and tenon, actual mortise and tenon yeah, into it. Yeah, the domino. Then you can't do this part and you can't do this part and this part. So people would rather have uh, whatever. They'd rather have a, a nicer material on the top or this one specific design element than have they don't care about the mortise and tenon basically right we have so to value engineer sometimes based yeah. on budget they'd rather have the the look to be one thing and have you know either a faux mortise and tenon or you know domino joinery and no exposed joinery right um so yeah i mean but if we if we were going to do it like a let's say we're building a table and we want a, a a stretcher to go between the legs. We'd probably use a router and a chisel or mm -hmm. a Forzner bit and a chisel. Yeah, yeah. We're pretty good with the chisel. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, I'd probably, like, make a template, flush trim, square off the edges. That's how I would do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. What's, what's your favorite tool? Not most used. Not most important, just favorite. Uh, that's our good friend Keith from Blackthorn Concepts on Instagram. Uh, I want you to check out Keith's giveaway with Panavice products on Instagram while you're at it. Yeah, really cool American-made um, vices for, like, carving and stuff like that. Yeah, he he showed us some of his stuff. Really impressive. That, I mean, we uh, were blown al away. Was it alabaster? Yeah, like yeah. this carved tulip. I mean, that thing's insane. I know, and the feel of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to get a chunk of that just to mess around with it. Yeah. Like I was saying, like make uh, little cabinet pulls. Or oh, something yeah. Like that. Yeah. yeah, that would be awesome. So he wants to know what our favorite tool is. Favorite in capitals. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, but it's this little thing called the Paolini Square by Woodworkers. <laughs> <laughs> by Woodpeckers. Woodpeckers. No. No. Uh, I'm going to have to think about this one. <laughs> um. Uh, you know, uh, it, it goes back and forth. If I have a good pencil. I was just thinking that. Were you really? Yeah. If I have like a really good mechanical pencil, um, because, and I know he said not the one you use the most, but because you use it so much, yeah. if it's if it's operating well and it's not getting jammed up and it's like that, you just turn me on to those Pentels. That's a motorcycle? I don't know. That was a weird noise. Or the dog. Um, and I used it a lot today for the very first time. Pentel Graph Gear 500.9 millimeter. Really? That's my favorite tool. Really enjoyable. Uh, I, I know it sounds silly, but... Um, that pencil has never let me down. I've been yeah. using that pencil for three and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. Never had a problem with it. Yeah. I have one that is I I've just switched over to a new one cuz I bought it and you actually just got me one. So now I got two extras, <laughs> but just because it was new. The old one was fine. Yeah, I mean when you order something small like that and you have to I don't I think I had to pay for shipping, you know. It was oh, like really? like $5 or something like that. Oh, so wow. it makes for me, uh, you know, it's like That was an Amazon then. No, I ordered directly from the Ooh. from uh Jet Pens. Um and, uh, you know, it makes sense to just order yeah. a couple. Because as far as that goes, they're cheap. Yeah. They're not. Like, I have a pen, a pencil that costs five or six times that much. Yeah. That 
in in the shop for the sh- the application most used in the shop, it's not as enjoyable to use as that Pentel. Mm-hmm. Um, that that uh, rot ring is really more like when you're on a drafting table and you can roll your yeah. lead to keep it sharp and all you that have stuff. A pointer right next to you. Yeah, you know, I I re- really enjoy working with uh, pen pencil and paper. So um, I hope I didn't. Uh, Steal everything from you. you got oh no, pencil. no! I mean that's awesome that we that we ended up picking the same thing. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. I mean that's one of the things that you don't even think about it. You just pull it out and use mm-hmm. it, and you don't think about it because it nothing ever goes wrong right. with it. It just works, and you know with the right lead. I use the Uniball Nano Dia HB. Uh, <laughs> you got to use good lead. That's yeah. the other thing. You can't Same use thing. cheap lead. Japanese lead, um, you know, 90% of the writing on that thing is in Japanese. Um, yeah, the Pentels are made in Japan. Yeah. People didn't know. Um, and you they're can't big use on like those that pencils. Big, big brand lead mm-hmm. or any. It's, you got to use good lead. And it's not even expensive. It's, again, you get like three, three things of it. I mean, I have enough lead that I bought years ago to last <laughs> until the apocalypse. I mean, we do have. An enormous amount. And I give to people. I'm like, you never tried this? I'm like, take a whole, you know, yeah. there's whatever, 25 yeah. pieces in there or something. I mean, go through, if I go through a piece of lead a week, I think that's a lot. I don't, there's yeah. no way I go through that No, much. no. Um, uh, and we use other pencils for different things, but for our everyday, like. Sometimes I come in early, get that woodpecker, I just draw a line every 16th of an inch <laughs> on a whole sheet of plywood. Yeah, <laughs> ninety-six inch lines, just parallel, perfectly parallel. Oh God, yeah. Um, some people like I even like a thicker leaded pencil. You know, like we had the Pika. Uh, we tried the mm, Pika. Not for me. Uh, and that's great for marking out things uh, like rough lumber and you know yeah. colored colored leads and things like that. I had that one point three millimeter mm-hmm. that I uh, I used it as a pry bar. And broke the front of it off. <laughs> I forget what the hell I was prying on. Yeah, probably trying to open a paint can. It was or something, something inside a hole, and I was like, yeah, "I'll just dig this out." And yeah, I snapped the oh. whole whole thing off. I wonder. Uh, I wonder what Keith's favorite tool is. He's probably one of those uh, dentist drill things. Yeah, that thing was cool. Maybe a CNC. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, this is good. We, we this. Topic was sort of it sort of touched on in a way this morning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How do you explain to your wife your justification of a tool, and do you tell her how much it costs? That's from Nick Nick Trayer on Instagram. I don't really get too into it. Um, no. I just kind of say like, "Oh, I need to get a uh, this for, you know, for work." And then, yeah, I tell her how much it is because yeah. that's, you know. But should we I mean, preface? She, we have the same bank account, so yeah. she, there's no hiding it anyway. That's right. That's right. Do, do we preface this discussion? With, with with the fact that the wives are free spenders? They, they don't. They, <laughs> uh, no, don't get into it. <laughs> don't get into it. You want to be culpable? No, I do not. Okay. But, but Jeff and I do. We're. You know, we don't spend anything except, like, really uh, on our tools or anything. But we do yeah. feel 
we do feel somewhat a twinge of guilt if we have to buy something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we're just saying that, you know, our spouses, you know, we, they have we less have a, guilt. Yeah, <laughs> they have less guilt than that. Um, and uh, sometimes uh, the only time I really felt a little bit uh, hesitant was when I told her that the apron, the Calvary apron, <laughs> 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 which was... I, what, how much was it? Was it three fifty? Three uh, and a quarter? Yeah. yeah, it was about three fifty. Um, I told her it was about three hundred dollars, and uh, she was like, "What?" I'm like, "It's like, well, it's a lifetime tool, and it's made handmade by a um, just a single guy down there in Ca- the Carolines." Then she understands, right? Um, but. Uh, you know, you kind of tell anybody you spent three hundred and fifty dollars on an apron. Like, listen, that's your lunches for two weeks. They're they're gonna look at you a little sideways until you until you own a Calaver apron. Oh, look at that! They're uh, that was them calling about the uh, appliances. Oh, cool! Yeah, I'll call them back when we're done. Yeah. Um. So we don't necessarily have to justify it, but um, it is no secret, as Jeff says, we. And, if it's if the business is paying for it, then it's a secret. If the yeah, we're just uh, hey, it's, it's what it is. We <laughs> right. bought a new table saw. It is whatever. right, exactly. It like is we're what going it to is. Pick up a new table saw. Um, then it, there's you know they don't really have any uh, uh, anything to do with it. But when it comes out of our personal bank accounts, they see it because we both are in the same boat where. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, if you got a wife, there's no hiding. <laughs> unless you got some secret bank account, right? Then don't ask any permission. Just no, we're not in that boat. No, <laughs> no. I mean, you should always have any big purchase like that. You should have a discussion. I yeah. think, but that's just. Me. I agree. I agree, hundred percent. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even feel right to just be spending things however I want. It's even just. I mean, unless you're living with. There's always enough money in the bank, no matter yeah. how much you spend to pay all the bills. Then you have to have. It's like, hey, I got to buy this, right? Just so you're on the same page about how right. much is going in, how much is coming out. Got the mortgage payments, the car payments. Like, is there going to be that much money in the account still? Has to do with respecting your spouse. Yeah, yeah. Of course, we joke, but um, you know, the justification is, you know, it's for work. It's going to make money. <laughs> That's right. This is a good one from one of our patrons, Nick. Um, here we go. Nick Duvall on Instagram. Nick C. Duvall on Instagram. Sorry. I'm a new homeowner. Congratulations. And my house came pretty bare bones as far as trim goes, i.e. no crown, crappy, uh, pretty crappy baseboard, and uncased windows and doorways. That's rough. Although I consider myself a decent handyman and an inter- intermediate woodworker, I haven't done much in the way of finished carpentry. As someone who has a blank canvas to learn on, where should I begin? What skills are essential for a finished carpenter to know? And where can I learn them within my own house? Last but not least, how many woodpeckers measuring devices will I need? Thanks. Keep up the the pod. I hate to break it to you, Nick. You're going to have to refinance the house to get the amount of woodpeckers it's going to take to trim out your house. This is right in your wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. If uh, if you haven't been listening for a long time and you don't know that you know where I cut my teeth was as a as a finished carpenter, uh, basically I got thrown in. Um, you know I didn't. A lot of guys start out with like framing and stuff like that, and then work their way up to finished carpentry. But that's where I started. 
um, and, you know, went from the new guy to, like, the lead Finnish carpenter in a very short amount of time. Um, Driven by fear of being found out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that's the truth. That's the absolute truth. Um, so I'd say, you know, the first thing that pops into my mind in terms of skills is coping. You got to learn how to cope. Um, resources. Look up and watch every single Gary Katz video on YouTube. K-A-T-Z. Um, this is Carpentry.com. That's his website. He's got articles out the ass. He's been around for, you know, he's, uh, I guess, semi-retired now. Um, been around forever. Just workflow in terms of moving. I mean, I always, I tape in my left, pencil in my right. I'm always measuring towards my right side. So, you know, tape goes out to the right and I measure mark. So the work is always moving across the saw in the same direction, uh, making cut lists. And uh, I mean, it's not going to just be perfect on the first go. You can, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of practical applications. So it doesn't matter how much research and stuff you do, you still have to do it a bunch of times to get good at it. But uh, preparing yourself with that information is definitely going to help. Yeah. And, I'll add to what you're saying is it's the development of these um, positive habits. Uh So you're not going to have to break any bad habits as you go on. The the whole thing about, you know, laying your work out, measuring, Uh holding your tools, all these things uh, are building blocks that you won't have to unlearn. Yeah. Um, I'd say... uh, Start out with baseboard, and it's kind of hard because you have to case things before you can do the base. I guess you're going to have to start out with casing. Now, the hardest part about casing is the fact that your jam may be proud of the sheetrock or the sheetrock may be proud of the jam, and you're going to have to roll miters and stuff. So I'd say focus on that if you can go around and case, you know, do the insides of the closets first and then, you know, the closets inside the rooms and then the inside of the room and then the outside of the room. So the do the most visual, you know, the most uh, prominent ones last and, uh, you know, practice on the inconspicuous spots first. But, yeah, you know, learn how to how to cut properly on a miter saw, let the saw cut and don't you know, be pulling it one way or another. Get a good saw, too. Yeah. Um, what else? Should he learn how to cope? Yeah, well, that's, yeah, once you get in, once you're done with the casing, but I think start with the casing because then, then you can go and do the baseboard and cope. So the way I do it, I go, I measure the whole room. I make a cut list. And I have uh, in the center is the measurement. On the left is what's on the left side of the piece. On the right is what's on the right side of the piece. So it might say B, 29 and a quarter, C. And I put a line through my C. I don't know why, but so I know it's a cope. B is butt, C is cope. So if if your baseboard is able to butt into your casing, which it should, it shouldn't be thicker than your casing, um, then you have a butt. It's 29 and a quarter to the long point of the cope. And that's how I make my cut list. So you measure... Measure around, and then when you install, you go opposite. Mm-hmm. So my cope is always on the right side of my piece just because, I mean, this is talking about product, doing it 
trying to do it as efficiently as possible. Um, you know, people will argue that when you walk into a room, the cope should all be, uh, you know, perpendicular to your line of sight so you don't see them. Well, if your cope is good, you shouldn't see the cope anyway. Um, and maybe I'm getting a little too in-depth and technical, but um, and feel free to reach out with any specific questions. But, yeah, I mean, I think casing and coping baseboard are fundamentals that if you start there, then you can do Wayne's coating and crown molding. Crown molding is just baseboard, but a little more complicated. Mm-hmm. It's just cut it upside down and backwards, basically. Yeah. Tell them the name of the, the videos again. Uh, so like- Gary Katz, G-A-R-Y-K-A-T-Z. This is Carpentry.com is his website. There's articles on there, but there's a bunch of videos on YouTube. He's got DVD sets and stuff. Yeah. Um, I forget what they're called, but... Uh, Spencer Lewis, Insider Carpentry. <laughs> um, I just read the next question. <laughs> uh, who else? There's a guy, Finnish Carpentry TV or something. I think he's a Canadian guy. I'm not a big fan of him, but I know he comes recommended from a lot of people. He... Uh, I think maybe he's gotten better. When I first saw him years and years ago, I think maybe he was a little bit hacky. But mm-hmm. uh, who else? If you if you reach out, I, I'll, I'll try and think of some specifics. Yeah, because you're really good at this. I, I love doing finished carpentry. My knees and stuff don't like it, but... Yeah. It's good. It's it's. I love getting into the zone and just banging shit out. Um, that's like today was so frustrating. For me because trying to edge band these you know first you were marking i'm cutting we knocked it out we cut all these the whole entire job was cut up in two hours yeah and then you just hit this wall where something that's supposed to be simple turns into not being simple at all and being the complete opposite of what it should have been and that's yeah. the most frustrating thing and the key to finish carpentry is making sure that you're always running as smooth as possible and, and as accurate it's supposed to just be thoughtless it's like robot work. Yeah. But it looks like, you know. Well, it was systems. Yeah. You have systems. Um, Just even like where you put your material. Yeah. Do you put your material behind the saw? No, because then you gotta <laughs> it's got to come up over top. You know, if you put it behind you, which way is it facing? Is the outside of the casing away from you and the inside? You, you got to think about all these things. Yeah, that's stuff you learn, or if somebody teaches you. Yeah. You know, or you learn it the hard way by having to make 12 moves instead of three. I'd say here's a tip for casing. I don't measure my legs. I I mark them. So I'll go, if you have uh, 16s, you don't have to cut them in half, but cut them, you know, oversized, long. Put the cut side down. So you, you cut, cut, uh, um, whatever it is, seven, seven foot something. It depends on how, th- how wide the casing is. You cut two legs, put the cut side down, put them next to the door. Then you mark your reveals, three sixteenths, quarter inch, whatever. Hold the piece up, mark the reveal. And then you go back to the saw. You put both pieces on like this, saw in the middle. You cut this one, you swing your saw, you cut the other one. You bring them back, they go right up. You didn't, I thought I measured 75 and three quarter, but it was 75 and three six. There's no confusion. You're just cutting to a line. Yeah. Then you install those. Then you measure for the head. You make a cut list. You cut them. You go back. I mean, I guess maybe it sounds simple, but. Yeah, you've done it a lot. Um, Could be overwhelming to a novice, but familiarizing 
yourself with the videos and the processes and yeah. things like that. And you're going to have to run into a problem and then figure out how to solve the yeah. problem. You can't you can't learn all these things beforehand. So you're going to case a door and the the uh the heels or whatever the you know the inside corner is going to be open. You're going to say what the hell? I cut it 45. Yeah. And you're going to have to learn how to fix that. What's yeah. going on with the wall and the jam and how it's affecting these things. So yeah, um just don't expect it to be perfect on the first go. Yeah. And um I would say try and um again, try and shoot for the best you can and and not accept too many. Well, I'm going to fill that with caulk, yeah. uh, you know, that sort of thing cuz then you're going to have to spend hours upon hours going back trying to massage all these defects. Then, yeah, you're just going to be dissatisfied right. with you know, how it yeah. came out. That that probably would have made a good question of the week. Yeah. But this one, the one down there is pretty good. I, I'm talking about question of the week. This next question from Justin De Palma on Instagram. He's down South Jersey right now spraying in this heat. Oh, God bless you, Justin. Justin wants to know, is it better to eat the whole cake in one sitting or a slice a day till it's gone? I don't know what kind of metaphor this is uh, supposed to be. <laughs> I'm going to take it literally. Uh, me too. Um, I, this, is, this is how we operate. We are both so obsessed with the idea of eating a whole cake. Yeah, oh, we, yeah. That was all we thought of. <laughs> to me, I say just eat it all in one shot. Yeah. Because it's all the same. It's all in and out. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you eat the whole thing now. It's the same thing. Um, if we're talking about, like, uh, caloric intake. Yeah. So you eat a whole cake. Let's say that's 10,000 calories. And then, you know, you're at a 500-calorie deficit for the day. That's 500 today minus 500 tomorrow. And you're at plus 10. Well, it's going it, to – it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, so if you want to eat the whole thing, I say eat it. Um. I, t I, I almost ran into this about two weeks ago. Was that that for Mary, Mary Beth? It, well, so right after Mary Beth brings over a homemade like cake. A crumb cake? Yeah. My wife was at Whole Foods, and she goes, I know you said you didn't want to eat so much cake. So I got a cake. So I bought this cake yeah. because... That's like my wife. I say, give me bread or buns. I got your bread and buns. I'm like, you know I'm going to eat them both. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know I have no self-control. Exactly. So she brought home this bakery fresh uh, strawberry shortcake. Oh, yeah. With like fresh real whipped cream yeah. and super sweet strawberries. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll try a slice. You know, like a little taste kind of slice. Nah, no such thing. Oh, my God. Just I, cut me a quarter of the cake. The whole cake was gone by the next day. Yeah. Yeah, like if there's a cake around, and I don't eat cake, but if, if I am eating cake, which happens, uh, like it's going to be an obscene amount. Yeah. Because I, I just can't. It's like a drug. Yeah, I Once have you no... have a little bit, it's, you know. And then that's how that's where mine goes. I'm just like, oh, fuck it. I'll just eat. Yeah. What's another piece? I have one. What's two? <laughs> My wife usually says with some sort of consternation, you always have room for dessert, don't you? Because yeah. you like have the dinner that she prepared. I'm like, no, no, I'm full. I'm full. 
And then, you know, <laughs> half hour later, she'll oh, catch yeah. me. Oh, man. I, I only eat dinner just to get to the dessert. Mm. Yeah. Had some, uh, some keto ice cream on, uh, what was that, Saturday? What makes it keto? Um, there's no sugar. And, uh, you know, like, what was this? It was like a cookie dough kind of chocolate. It was like chocolate and caramel flavored ice cream with cookie dough. So there's no, it's almond flour. Okay. You think yeah. keto has dairy though? Oh yeah. 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 I, I think like if you're really strict, there's, you try and stay away from the dairy, mm-hmm. but because dairy is, is higher in carbs than some other stuff. Oh yeah. All right. So um, that's going to wrap it up for this week as far as the uh, regular questions. And Yeah. So we'll, uh, uh, if you've been listening for the last couple of weeks, we've been taking one question from the podcast and we are doing that in the Patreon show. We're calling it the question of the week. And this week's uh, question of the week is coming from Kevin Stelzer Furniture on Instagram. And uh, we thought this was a good one to elaborate on. So we'll spend, you know, half hour or so on yeah. this question itself. Have you guys ever run into a situation where in the middle of a project, the scope of work dramatically increases while somehow the timeline simultaneously (laughs) decreases and no one gets back to you about budget changes or the need for a longer timeline? I found myself getting totally screwed on the interior finish of a large new house recently. I'm a finished carpenter and the last house I did got way out of hand and my timeline got slashed four weeks on a 5,000 square foot house with custom beams, built-ins and trim work galore. I wanted to give the client the best product, so I pushed forward all the while. The builder has been dicey about payments and brutal on giving time needed. This led to six weeks of 18-hour days just to get it done on the unmerciful timeline. That is unmerciful. Yeah, long question, but have you guys ever been in this situation? If so, how did you or how would you have... How did you or how would you have handled it? I'm still waiting to get paid, so I'm guessing I'll end up getting screwed... And had a bad six weeks. Love the pod from Kevin. God. Man, you know, I hate hearing stories like that. Yeah. Because, you know, and not to get uh, too sappy about it, but Kevin's like one of our brothers in arms. You know, this is is what happens out there. Yeah, Yeah, fellow craftsmen. My God. Um, That's never happened to me. I'm I'm happy to say. Yeah. But we'll uh we'll get into that on the Patreon show. Uh what'd you think of the beer? It's gone. I liked it. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it went down pretty easy. Yeah. Seven point five percent doesn't taste like it. You know, sometimes beers get boozy up at that yeah. percentage, but um definitely juicy, tropical. It was good. And you know, this is like our one beer of the week, usually, you know, unless there's a party we go to or something yeah. like that. And we're not big drinkers. So the other day, uh, Mike Real came over. Mm-hmm. And my wife stopped on her own to get, because she was out. So she comes home with a six-pack of beer, and she bought a six-pack of Bex. Hmm. And I didn't really like it. Yeah, it's like a pill, like a, uh, is Bex German? I think it is. Yeah. Kind of, I thought it was a pilsner for some reason, but I could taste it in my in my mind. I, I, I didn't really like it. Yeah, it had like a weird. It's kind of just like a you know, eh, it's just like a. And beer. we've been drinking all these beers. Yeah. And except for like the the goofy ones where we knew it would be hit and miss. Yeah. 
there hasn't been really a bad beer. No, I mean, it's like food. You might not like the style or something, but mm -hmm. it's still, if you go to a place where the person cares about what they're, you know, it's going to be good. Right. You just, you know, maybe you're not a big fan of pork chops. And this. I, I was really surprised yeah. that I felt that way about it. Yeah, Bex is kind of just like, eh, you know. Like, I don't think in Europe they're drinking Bex. <laughs> they're making it, but and they're sending it all here. That's right. I used to work with an electrician. This guy, uh, what was his name? Yang, Vietnamese guy. Like, was a refugee as a mm -hmm. child from Vietnam. And he used to drink Bex. Like, you'd show up the next day. Electricians are always the guys that work, like, at night. You show up and the dumpster had, like, like 13 empty Bex bottles. <laughs> oh, God. Like, oh, my God, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about like the European export kind of thing, um, I remember when I was in Italy, and you know they they have the the famous regional products like Parma ham, yeah, DOCG, yeah, and they were telling me the best stuff never ever leaves the region, let alone the country. Right, yeah. You know, it's all spoken for. It's like yeah, if this needs to be designated DOCG. It means that there's enough of it to go around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the Bex is all for export. Yeah. All the good stuff is. That's like French wine. You know, yeah. you have all these little uh, villages and stuff where you have, it's been a long time, but you have like the Premier Crew, the Grand Crew. There's all these different levels and it's like by size of the, of the vineyard. And you have all these tiny little vineyards where you're getting wine that tastes just as good, if not better, than wine that costs whatever, hundreds of dollars a bottle. But it never leaves the village mm -hmm. because the people that live there are the ones that are drinking it. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't, you know, it costs nothing. Right, right. Uh, yeah, good good uh, little bit of info there. So I uh, want to thank uh, Jerry Greenan, David Murphy, Manny Siriani, Dustin Fair, Adam Pothast, David Shoemaker, and Colin Lai. Thanks, guys, our gold-tier patrons. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll see you next week for episode 44. Yeah, thanks a lot for hanging out with us.